Hello, I am Nivra Jendra, and this is the Embodied Ayurveda podcast. Here, you receive high-level, authentic, and comprehensive Ayurvedic and yogic insights so that you can truly level up your wellness practices and profession. Let's get right into it. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the three supporting pillars of health and well-being, according to Ayurveda, Brahmacharya. This pillar is probably the most neglected and forgotten of the three in our current times, the other two being Nidra, sleep, or Ahara, um, and Ahara, or food and inputs. Ayurveda places emphasis on how these three supporting pillars, when well-regulated and correctly maintained, provide a person with longevity, strength, and vitality for their entire lifetime. The fact that modern-day Ayurvedic teachers and doctors don't give quite enough attention to this third pillar of health, Brahmacharya, is actually a telltale sign for me of its importance and, in fact, absolute necessity. So today we're going to dive into one- what exactly is brahmacharya two what is the importance of brahmacharya and three how can it be reflected on and applied within each of our unique contexts and circumstances well one the word brahmacharya stems from two sanskrit roots first is brahman second is charya brahman in general signifies the absolute the eternal, the changeless, the divine, ultimate truth. Brahman is referred to as the supreme self, that which is beyond comparison. It's usually used to explain a concept of something that's transcendent, right? Um, An imminent, ultimate reality. Charya refers to a specific code of conduct, to practice something, to be in the wheel or in the motion of something, to follow in, follow a specific path. So brahmacharya can be understood as this practice or following of a divine code of conduct that is in alignment with a higher truth, a path that's guided by the divine, a path that is in acknowledgement of our place within the larger intricate and interdependent web of all life. My gods, when we think about this from um, an Ayurvedic context, within an Ayurvedic context, the term brahmacharya is used more to indicate an overall lifestyle conducive to the pursuit of sacred knowledge and spiritual liberation, uh, self-awareness and mindful control over our physical and emotional pulse, meaning a practice of turning inwards as opposed to outwards. The term is often diluted to signify only celibacy. So you might have heard this word to signify celibacy. Maybe that's what it connects um, for you in your brain. But celibacy is just one aspect of this practice. If you're thinking about the broader meaning of brahmacharya, self-restraint, inwardness. And, you know, in this moment in time in your life, it might not be realistic or reasonable for you to be thinking about celibacy or focusing in on this part. 
So it's so important to understand the truer meaning of the word and really its broader scope and implications. When we understand Brahmacharya more expansively, more at its roots, it becomes this absolutely stunning call for ethical behavior, for an ethical code of conduct in the name of individual and collective vibrancy and vitality. So what is the importance of Brahmacharya? Why is it relevant to you? Ayurvedic texts state that the practice of disciplining one's mind, senses, and sexual desires, choosing moderation as opposed to extremes, is crucial to maintaining immune strength and resilience. When practiced with awareness and an acknowledgement of what is sacred, what is divine, what is abundantly giving within us, it lends to this overall state of equilibrium and clarity in the mind-body system. Let me put this another way for you. Imagine your life void of brahmacharya. This is the lack of any type of code of conduct that has you prioritize the subtle and the sacred over the sensorial and the material. You are so overwhelmed with so many pulls towards so many different types of pleasure, instant gratification options, indulgences, opportunities to self-sabotage, exploit, extract, or deceive in order to get what you want when you want it. The lack of brahmacharya is this void of a path that takes you inwards, into your own quietude, towards what is true and joyful within you. And this is honestly at the root of disease. It is a deep discontentment, um, deep deep disconnect and neglect of that which transcends us all. In our ignorance, we get pulled one desire to the next without any sense of what our consumption or actions are doing to our own mind-body system. Forget anyone else's around us. And this brings me to my next point here, which is Brahmacharya tends to the health of the collective. The health of the collective is crucial to the health of the individual. Right now, the health of our collective body is crumbling and we can feel it in all aspects of our lives. The quality of our food, our governments, our mood, our air is deteriorating at rapid rates. We rely on our collective body for our nourishment, nurturance, intimacies, protection. When we prioritize brahmacharya, that is living in accordance to a divine ethics and understand that this practice seeps into all beings, this land, our communities, our waters, we are more inclined to give care and concern about how our actions might be affecting this larger web. And only when we all uphold brahmacharya can our systems truly transform and so as brahmacharya points you inwards to the health truthfulness contentment and pleasure accessible within you you are more inclined to show up more lovingly with less extractive demands and pressure on the world around you cultivate deeper psychic and physical strength turn to choices that actually serve your higher selves and find deeper connectivity with cosmic intelligence and truths within you.
this is beautiful and I want this for you. I want this for us. Now, what is a tangible way in which we can incorporate brahmacharya into our lives? How can we gauge where we are at with this? What can we do to walk gently and surely on this more mindful path? Here, I turn to the yamas as taught to us in so many Vedic texts, but I'll focus the ones, focus on the ones mentioned in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, as well as the Sandilya Upanishad. The yamas coming from the root uh, Sanskrit word, coming from the Sanskrit word yama, is a list of restraints or tools to living in deeper accordance with divine law. We understand these as some powerful moral and societal imperatives. I have found that the yamas in their entirety do a beautiful job of building us um, this practical and applicable framework for brahmacharya. Brahmacharya being this more expansive ethics and that integral third pillar of health. As I go through these yamas, I really want you to reflect on where in your own life there might be space for potent transformation. What can you be tending to right now? What needs your loving attention? What big commitments are calling to you right now? The first is ahimsa, the practice of nonviolence. We usually think here of physical violence or violence towards another, but really what I've observed is that the amount of violence we inflict internally through our belittling self-talk, our intense criticality, self-judgment, harshness, it's a lot. The violence we inflict when we're coping with stress, the violence we inflict when we abandon ourselves to please others, or say yes instead of no. Really looking into that. How kind are you in your relationships? Especially the closest ones. We often take for granted the ones in which emotional violence is often normalized. So here we can practice nonviolence in speech, in thought, in action. Projected inwards as well as outwards. So that's already a lot to meditate on. Two, satya, truthfulness, being honest in your word, keeping your promises, not engaging in deception, keeping your promises to yourselves even. No half lies, not even to get away with the small stuff. Everything that unfolds after you have been truthful, non-violently truthful, there is a key, is the best possible outcome. You don't need to be holding conflicting fragments of you, dealing with that emotional chaos and baggage that comes with lying or hiding. Truth really should come first in all things. The consequences of dishonesty are just too harsh. We just don't need more of it right now. And with all of these, I just invite you to reflect on what is a reality like with the void of ahimsa, with the void of satya. Is that a reality that I want to subscribe to? And if not, how can I be looking inwards, holding myself accountable, 
and stepping up with these yamas, with these um, ethics. And it always starts small in the heart of your own heart. You know what's true. Stop lying to yourself. This is so important. Three, asteya, non-stealing. Of course, not taking what isn't yours, yes, but it doesn't need to be just about, you know, shoplifting or larger acts of corruption or stealing even. Non-stealing can extend to the realm of ideas and identities, to the industries we support and our daily consumptions. It can extend to the systems of extraction and exploitation we engage in. Some of these are hard to disentangle from. But even still, what is in your capacity? Why not bring mindfulness and restraint there? Why not choose something that is more conscientious or ethical if you have the opportunity to? And think about a time in which you take or you use something, be it someone else's time or energy or love even, and you do so with a type of arrogance You know this is unnecessary. You know that this can shift. Bring your awareness and intentionality here too. Four, brahmacharya, self-restraint or moderation. So yes, it's interesting that this is included in as a yama, but it makes sense. They both feed into each other. Um, Brahmacharya as a component of yama and yama as a paradigm or framework for thinking about and reflecting and integrating brahmacharya so they both feed into each other brahmacharya is a moderation with our desires a command over the pulls of our body and emotions including sexually as well this is interesting one text commented on how a command over sexual desire was the most powerful practice to bringing us closer to liberation And simultaneously, how infidelity, which obviously completely unethical, was the most powerful practice to keep us away from it. Again, brahmacharya is an identification with something beyond the material and the ego. So however that expresses itself, however that flows through from you in each of your choices, in each of your actions. When you begin to follow through with this, it really does become easier to return to an anchor of presence, stillness, pause in the midst of all the pulls, all the chaos. The fifth, aparigraha, aparigraha, non-possessiveness. Here we are urged not to hoard, not to accumulate more than that is necessary for us or attach ourselves incessantly to material items or even people for that matter it's an it's an attitude of simultaneously yes i care and there is contentment but it doesn't need to be with a clinging nature or grasping it's a reminder that oftentimes we need to release in order to receive i love saying that release in order to receive baby and that cannot happen if we are overwhelmed or burdened with possessions and just don't want to let go. We're just not making space. I'm going to add two more, though. These are the five main ones. These are the five main ones. I'm going to add two more. Um, These are from the Upanishads that I really love and appreciate. Shama, which is forgiveness or a type of patience. 
even when harm is done to you or done to people that you love about something that you care about. To recognize that you don't need to carry the burden of the other's cruelty or ignorance. Karma will take care of what it needs to. You must return to your peace while also holding yourself to higher standards. Turning inwards, seeing where you can show up with more kindness, with more truth. Here is true forgiveness. It's true patience. It's not holding the ugliness of someone else's bad behavior tightly and angrily in your body, thinking that only if you do that will they pay for their actions. No. Release it. It's not yours to hold. And step up in your own life and, and, and be better where you can. And the other is daya, compassion, self-compassion, compassion for the other. I teach a lot on this loving kindness. What does meditating on the heart, meditating on integrating and opening up compassion, loving kindness within the heart center, what does that do for you? What does that open up for you? What does that soften in you? What does that activate in you? in incredibly medicinal ways, I'm sure, a lot. How can self-compassion, compassion provide as a balm to all the suffering, selfishness, closeness, and fear present in your own world, in our worlds? And then how might this ripple outwards? I invite compassion with everything into all things. When you're following protocols, when you're holding yourself to higher standards, when you're trying to make level ups, when you're communicating. And to really remember that compassion isn't a, you know, everyone can just do what they want. I'm a compassionate being or, you know, people can mistreat people. It's all it's all good. Compassion is is like a power. It's a strength of seeing where you are at fully, acknowledging where you're at fully, seeing where someone else is at fully, without judgment, without fear, and infusing it with the love and the kindness needed for our expansion. So as you reflect on your journey of health and wellness, your journey of guiding loved ones, students, or clients, and stepping up as a visionary leader in your community, I invite you to create big space for this crucial third pillar of health, Brahmacharya. Now you know what it means. You know why it's necessary, It's the implications, as well as how to tangibly better uphold its vision within your own life. This is the Embodied Ayurveda podcast. I am Nev. This is brought to you by your health compass. I am sending you big love on an ocean breeze. Follow and subscribe. Till next time.